0: of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. I love our reading this morning from the Old Testament, the opening chapter of Joshua. There's so much there, and I want us to think about it a little bit like Russian nesting dolls. You know, Russian nesting dolls, the big doll, you open it up, and there's a little doll, and you open that up, and there's an even smaller doll in the inside. And I think that That our reading this morning has those kind of layers to it. Um, There's certainly what happens in history to Joshua and the Israelites as they're about to enter into the promised land. But I think there's plenty of meaning there for us as a church, corporately in the United States in the 21st century, but also for those of us who are individual Christians who find ourselves in that church um, to take home certain things from this reading. So the reading obviously takes place at a pivotal time in the history of Israel. They're on the precipice of two great transitions. The first is a transition in terms of their journey. The Israelites are about to end their wilderness wanderings, which they've experienced under the leadership of Moses, and enter the land that God had given them. They're leaving behind their nomadic way of life, but they're not really entering into a stage of peace, quite the opposite. They're entering into a time of struggle and warfare to possess the land. To make matters more complex and uncertain, there's a shift in leadership at the same time. Moses has died. He was unable to enter the promised land because of his disobedience to God, and now a much younger Joshua has to take the helm and lead God's people. No wonder he needs so much assurance there in the opening verses of the book. Be strong and of good courage, God tells Joshua, not once, not twice, but three different times. Where is this courage supposed to come from, do you think? From good self-esteem on Joshua's part? Self-confidence? And his own gusto and charisma and personality? I don't think so at all. In fact, at no point does God praise Joshua as particularly qualified for the job that he's been given in the reading this morning. Instead, we get the sense that Joshua's confidence should be based on God's faithfulness to Israel. In the midst of the transitions Israel was undergoing, only God, only God would provide stability and bring about what he had promised. He says, every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you as I said unto Moses. The promise God made to Moses would come to fruition under Joshua, even if it always, wasn't always evident in the moment. I mean, you remember the story early in Joshua, they send the spies into the land and they say, there's too many giants in the land. Look at the size of these grapes. How are we supposed to invade this country? But the promise isn't based on Israel's capabilities. It's not based on Joshua's power or his charm or his charisma. It's based on God's word and his power. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. But just like every great promise from God, there there comes an obligation in return or a needed response from his people. God is going to deliver on his promise to bring Israel into the promised land, but Israel was supposed to provide a proper response. These exhortations to be strong and courageous that God gives to Joshua are a germ of what was expected of the people. The people were to have faith in God. But even more, in verse 8, verse 8 tells us that Joshua was to be a leader who internalized the scriptures. This book of the law shall not depart of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. So why do all this study of Scripture? Why internalize the Scriptures? Well, God says to turn not from it to the right hand, nor to the left. Joshua was supposed to know the Scriptures so they could guide how he lived and how he led, setting the ultimate standard. This was important because if you know anything about the wilderness wanderings, the 40 years that they had been in the desert... You know that the Israelites would often come forward to Moses with all sorts of ideas about how they should be doing things, and Moses had to constantly bring them back to God's way. I mean, at one point, they even say, just take us back to Egypt, because at least we had some food there. So it was important for Joshua, as a leader, to be grounded in the law so that he could lead properly, because Israel's at that phase of transition, And so God could only be their stability, their only form of stability. So Joshua had to be rooted in God's word. There's so much to be applied here, I think, both to us as the church and to us as individual Christians. I mean, on the corporate level, and I mean speaking as the church in the United States in the 21st century, just look around. The church, especially here in the modern West, is is in a time of transition, and it's easy to become discouraged. Every study, every study shows consistent decline in church attendance. The church is becoming less relevant to most people. Secularism is becoming rampant. This, of course, has happened before, and it's not going to be the last time that this happens. But it is interesting to note that in 1969, Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger, who became Pope Benedict XVI, prophetically observed that in the coming decades, the church will have lost a great deal, he said. Now, this is partly due to external forces like social pressures from secularism, <laughs> lack of interest, etc. But there's an internal component to this, too. What the church has lost is sometimes self inflicted because the church has compromised a great deal to accommodate the world in too many places. It's lost its understanding of mission by a preoccupation with money and finances and numbers. It's reduced priest and clergy to social workers, therapists, community organizers, and political figures. The point is that the church today faces a world that is increasingly hostile to the message of the gospel, at least in an explicit way, while facing that challenge with an often malformed conscience that doesn't even have a clear view of what the church is or why it's here at all. And in such a situation— There is only one place that we can look to for our stability. It's not to politicians. It's not to popularity. It's not to money. It's not to numbers. It's to God. The God who deigned himself to come to us by taking on humanity, who who was abandoned on the cross, who was laid to rest in a tomb. That's where we look for stability. That's where we look for guidance. And when we look to him, we don't turn from the right hand or to the left. It means we follow Jude 3, and we contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. As the church, we do this. We do this by submitting to our episcopal authority, by administering and receiving the sacraments, by reading and dwelling in the scriptures. And it may not be clear how these things will be successful in the end, because they're certainly not as flashy as what's going on at the church of what's happening now, But these are the medicines that God has given us to cure the sickness of humankind that was caused by sin. And we know that they will always have enduring relevance, always. And we know that God will be faithful to us because he always has been. Just like in the case of Old Testament Israel, God's promise comes with a response on our part. It comes with an obligation. Our response should mirror Joshua's. We should be strong and courageous. We should be strong and courageous by maintaining the faith as it has been handed to us, the faith found in the Holy Scriptures, the faith found in the councils and the teachings of the church. And we internalize his word, we meditate on the Scriptures, and we receive the grace afforded to us in the Holy Sacraments. What's true of the church on a macrocosmic level in general is true of each of us on an individual level because you, Christian, you, Christian, are in the midst of a great transition. Now, all of our transitions are happening in the midst of different circumstances, different situations, different stories, but we all experience those transitions nonetheless. St. Paul gets at it this morning in our epistle reading from, from Corinthians. Run that ye may obtain that prize. That's the transition that we're in. We're in the middle of a race with the goal of holiness, the purgation of sin, the embracing of virtue, Because all of us as Christians, we're not what we were before our baptisms, but we're not yet what we are supposed to be. But we can be certain that all of us, all of us will die, and we will have to answer to God on the last day. So the question is, what are we doing now in the midst of this transition? Where are we looking for our stability? In the midst of our circumstances, our various circumstances, our setbacks, the changes and chances of life, only God, only God can be your stability. And the same God who is present with you at your baptism is the same God who's with you each and every moment. He's with you every time you make progress. He's with you every time you fall. Our circumstances may change and over them we have very little control. We like to think we have control. We have very little control. But God is always in control and God has placed each and every one of us right where he wants us. And in response to his faithfulness, the only thing we can do is to have faith, to become people of prayer, people who internalize the scriptures so that we, too, can obey his commands. This requires hard work. It requires training. St. Paul emphasizes this as well in the reading. Athletes run to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. He goes on to say, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. This kind of dedication, this kind of devotion is what we give God in response to what he has given us. And so I think that Joshua really is a blueprint for us. It's a blueprint for the church in a post-Christian world. Those words, be strong and courageous, they speak to us. They remind us to stand fast in the faith that we've received. But those same words ring true for each and every one of us in our individual walks as Christians as we progress towards holiness. Be strong and of good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen.